0: Furthermore, God is fulfilling his promise that Abraham will be a great nation and the nations will be blessed through him. In other words, God is slowly bringing Christ to the world through Israel in order to defeat Satan, keeping his promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. In the last several episodes, I've surveyed the book of Genesis, so I'll continue my survey in this episode. But let me quickly review with a few statements. God created all things without sin, but Adam sinned against God, leading to the fall of all mankind. In response, God initiated a plan to defeat Satan who tempted Eve, leading to the fall of man. And we see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So after the world was populated, God saw that the wickedness in the world was great. So he destroyed all living things on the earth, except for Noah and his family, and the animals that he brought aboard the ark. Years earlier, God called Noah to build an ark. Then he told him to gather two of each kind of animal and put them on the ark. Then after the floodwaters receded, the animals repopulated the earth, and the human race was repopulated as well. Now, one thing that we learned about the flood event is that it did not solve the sin problem. Look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. God said he would never curse the ground again because of man. And then he tells us why. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In other words, destroying all living things by the flood of water again will not solve the sin problem. Evil resides in the heart of every human being, with the exception of Jesus Christ. So there was another remedy that was needed. At this point, only eight people survived the flood, and God acknowledges that the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That means that Noah and his family were just as evil as those who were killed by the flood. So why did they die, yet Noah and his family survived? Were they better than the other people who perished? Well, not at all. God extended his grace and mercy to them. That's all. I mean, sure, Noah believed God, and he built the ark. But apart from the work of God's Spirit in the heart of Noah, he wouldn't have believed God. Evil still resided in his heart, and this is confirmed by his death years later. Well, after the earth was repopulated, God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said that he would make Abraham a great nation and bless all the nations through him. And Abraham moved to the promised land, and he had a son, Isaac. And then later, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Though Esau was the oldest, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, conspired with Jacob to steal the blessing. And because of this, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And that brings us to the end of Genesis chapter 27. So beginning in Genesis chapter 28, Isaac sent Jacob to Laban, Rebekah's brother. And like Abraham did concerning Isaac's wife, Isaac forbade Jacob from taking a wife from the Canaanites. He then directed Jacob to take a wife from Laban. Then he blessed him, after which he sent him away. Next, Esau heard Isaac forbid Jacob from taking a wife from the Canaanites, so he married a daughter from Ishmael. If you remember, Ishmael was the brother of Isaac from a different mother. It seems here that Esau is seeking approval from Isaac. Then Genesis chapter 28 verses 10 and following cover a dream of Jacob. He came to a place called Luz, and he laid to sleep, placing a rock under his head. Now, I thought this was a little odd to mention this stone. I mean, who cares where he put his head? However, we will see in a moment why this stone is mentioned. Anyway, after Jacob fell asleep, he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a ladder extending from heaven to earth. And on this ladder, angels were going up and down, and God stood above the ladder and identified himself. He said he is the God of Abraham and Isaac. He then affirmed that he would give Jacob the land on which he laid, and he would make his offspring numerous. They would spread north, south, east, and west. In Jacob, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Finally, God concluded by promising Jacob that he would be with him, he would keep him, and he would bring him back to this land. I want to take a moment to unpack this. The latter is another prophecy of Christ. Jesus would be born hundreds of years later through the line of Jacob. And Jesus refers to this dream of Jacob. Listen to what he says in John chapter 1, verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. With the dream of Jacob in view, Jesus is the ladder to heaven. Looking at this from another angle, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus is the mediator between God and man. We see that in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. What that means is that man is alienated from God due to their sin. Jesus is the only means by which man can approach God. Now let's look at the promises that God made to Jacob. First, God will give him and his offspring the land. As history unfolds, Israel will occupy this land. Second, God would make Jacob's offspring numerous. Third, Jacob's offspring would bless the earth. Again, this is a prophecy of Christ. The earth wasn't blessed by the nation of Israel. In fact, Israel lasted several hundred years and dissolved. Through Christ, the nations of the earth find salvation from sin and guilt. Fourth, God promised that he would be with him. Fifth, God promised that he would keep him. Sixth, God promised that he would bring him back to the land. What does that mean? Well, Jacob is about to leave this land to go to Laban. Yet one day he would return. God then concluded by saying that he would not leave Jacob until he had done all that he had promised. It's clear by this statement that God is compelled by his promise. He would continue until he accomplished all that he promised. And this is a good point for us to remember that we are saved By the promise of God. I mean, yes, we're saved in Christ. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. But primarily, we're saved because God made a promise, and we have received this promise from God in Christ. Well, after Jacob woke from his dream, he declared that God was in that place, and the place was the house of God. He then set up the stone that he used for his head. He set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. He then called that place Bethel, which means house of God. And chapter 28 concludes with Jacob making a vow that God would be his God. Chapter 29 covers the marriage of Jacob to Leah and Rachel. So Jacob met Laban and he agreed to work for him for seven years in order to marry Rachel. However, after Jacob worked for Laban for seven years, Laban deceived Jacob. They had a feast, and in the evening, Laban gave Jacob Leah, his oldest daughter. Now, Jacob must have been really drunk, or it must have been really dark, because he didn't realize that it was Leah till morning. So the deceiver, Jacob, had been deceived by another. Remember, Jacob and his mother conspired to deceive Isaac in order to receive the blessing. Now Jacob was deceived by Laban, his uncle. So Jacob confronted Laban, and Laban told him that it was improper for the younger to marry before the older. Then Laban gave Rachel to Jacob, and Jacob served him for another seven years. Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. The end of chapter 29 lists the first four sons of Jacob. These children were born to Leah. There are several things I want to point out here. First, we see the sovereignty of God. God opened the womb of Leah because he saw that she was hated. We see that in verse 31. So, she bore four sons, then she stopped bearing. Second, look at how Leah named her children. Initially, she named them based on her hope that her husband would finally love her. But notice how she named the fourth son in verse 35. This time, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Afterward, she stopped bearing children. And I believe this is key for a couple reasons. She stopped bearing children after she shifted in her perspective. She changed from seeking her husband's approval to praising God. Next, Judah was the son from whom the Savior of the world would come. Take a look at Genesis chapter 49. Here Jacob told his sons what would happen in the future. In verses 8 through 12, he's speaking to Judah. Now look particularly at verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. So, hundreds of years later, David was chosen by God to be king. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And he was from the tribe of Judah. Hundreds of years later, Jesus descended from David, so he is from the tribe of Judah. Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 is a prophecy of Christ, who is the eternal king. So, it's as if Judah was the line of Christ because Leah praised God. Or perhaps Leah's praising God was a marker that Judah would be the line from whom Jesus would come. Now, the last thing I want us to see here is that God saves bad people. In fact, God doesn't save good people because good people don't need to be saved. So God saves only bad people. And Jacob was not necessarily a good man. He hated his wife, Leah. Again, we saw that in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. God saw that Leah was hated. Yet, for some reason, God loved Jacob. And Malachi chapter 1 verse 2 confirms that. And this is good news for all of us. Again, there's not a single one of us who is a good person. In fact, we're evil. We don't love God as we ought. We're so self-centered. We consider ourselves greater than others. Our hearts are evil. And this comes from the fall of mankind. Yet, for some strange reason, God loves us. And he rescued us from sin, death, the devil, and even his wrath. Moving on to Genesis chapter 30, we see the battle between Jacob's wives. Rachel was displeased that she wasn't bearing children, but Leah was. Therefore, Rachel gave her servant to Jacob, and she bore two sons. Then Leah saw that she was no longer bearing children, but Rachel's servant was. So, she gave her servant to Jacob, and she bore two sons. Then afterwards, Leah bore Jacob two more sons. So, up to this point, Jacob had Ten sons from three different women, two of which weren't his wives. God then remembered Rachel and he opened her womb. Again, we see the sovereignty of God. And she gave birth to Joseph. Perhaps you know this, but let me just say it at this point that this Joseph is not the father of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus was born hundreds of years after Jacob. Well, after Joseph was born, Jacob asked Laban to send him away with his wives and and children. Well, after Joseph was born, Jacob asked Laban to send him away with his wives and children. He had fulfilled his obligation of service, so it was time for him to go. Now, Laban realized that God blessed him because of Jacob, so he bargains with him. Now, Laban realized that God blessed him because of Jacob, so he bargained with Jacob to stay. And Jacob agreed with one condition. He would take all the spotted and speckled sheep and goats and the black lambs from Laban's flock as his wage. And Laban agreed to these terms. But Laban did something sneaky. He took every male goat that was striped and spotted and every female goat that was speckled and spotted. He also took the black lambs and he put his sons in charge of these animals. However, Jacob had a plan to counter Laban's deception. As Jacob oversaw Laban's flock, he implemented a strategy to ensure Laban's flock would produce black, spotted, and speckled animals. You can read this strategy in Genesis chapter 30, verses 37 to 43. And you can also read about the science behind this strategy in an article called Science Proves the Story of Jacob's Spotted and Speckled Sheep. I'll leave a link in the description. With this strategy, Jacob's flock grew with strong animals that were spotted and speckled. However, Laban was left with a more feeble flock without markings. Moving on to chapter 31, Jacob heard that Laban's sons accused him of stealing from Laban. And Jacob saw that Laban was not favorable toward him. God then called Jacob to return to the land of Abraham and Isaac, which is present-day Israel. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah and told them what was going on. He revealed how Laban cheated him and what God did. God took Laban's livestock from him and gave it to Jacob. Then God identified himself to Jacob as the God he met at Bethel, where Jacob anointed a pillar and made a vow to him. He then called Jacob to return to the land of his father, and Rachel and Leah submitted to God's plan. So Jacob gathered his family and left. But before leaving, Rachel took Laban's household gods. Several days after Jacob left, Laban went after him. God warned him not to say anything good or bad to Jacob. When Laban caught up to Jacob, he asked him why he left without giving him an opportunity to kiss his daughters. Then he asked Jacob why he stole Laban's household gods. Jacob told Laban that he was afraid that he would take his daughters by force. As for the gods, Laban was free to look through his stuff, and anyone who had the gods would not live. Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban looked through Jacob's stuff, and he didn't find them. When he came to Rachel's tent, he felt around, but he didn't find them there either. She hid them in her camel's saddle, and she sat on the saddle. She told Laban that she wasn't able to stand because the way of women was upon her. So Laban didn't find the household gods. Isn't that interesting? Jacob said that the person who took the gods would not live, yet Rachel wasn't put to death. This again demonstrates the grace of God. Not only did Rachel steal from her father and quite frankly lied about it, she apparently committed idolatry, the worship of other gods. Why else would she take these gods? Was she planning on destroying them? I doubt that. It makes more sense that she took the gods because she wanted them to be her gods. So it appears she was committing idolatry. Yet God protected her by his sovereignty The gods weren't discovered, and she wasn't put to death. In other words, God protected an idolater, one who worshipped gods other than him. Well, after Laban didn't find the household gods, Jacob berated him. but he didn't realize that Laban had a legitimate complaint because Rachel stole his household gods. He then ran through the history with Laban, noting his labor and Laban's dishonesty. He then credited God with his prosperity. If God hadn't seen his affliction and looked favorably on him, Laban would have sent him away empty-handed. Laban then claimed that all that belonged to Jacob really belonged to him, yet what could he do? So he proposed that he and Jacob make a covenant. They set a pillar of stones to serve as a witness, that the two of them would not cross that line to do harm to the other. Jacob agreed and swore by the fear of Isaac. What does that mean? Well, we have a clue back in verse 42. There he states the God of his father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. By fear of Isaac, he really means the God of Isaac. The translators of the English Standard Version acknowledge this because they capitalize fear in verses 42 and 53. So they recognize that the fear of Isaac is another way of saying the God of Isaac. Also, listen to what John Calvin says. The expression, the fear of Isaac, is to be taken passively for the God whom Isaac revered. So Jacob swore by the God of Abraham and Isaac, and afterwards Jacob offered a sacrifice and called his kinsmen to eat bread. In other words, Jacob worshipped God, indicating his faith. So Jacob may have been a scoundrel, but he was a scoundrel who worshipped God. He was a scoundrel who had faith, a scoundrel who believed God. The following day, Laban kissed his daughters and grandchildren, and he returned to his homeland. And that brings us to the end of Genesis chapter 31. So God is moving his plan forward to defeat Satan. And at this point, he is building Israel through the family of Abraham. Jacob has 11 sons out of the 12 who will become the tribes of Israel. Furthermore, God is fulfilling his promise that Abraham will be a great nation, and the nations will be blessed through him. In other words, God is slowly bringing Christ to the world through Israel in order to defeat Satan, keeping his promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. You see, God's not in a hurry. He took several thousand years to bring Jesus to earth. Nevertheless, God fulfilled his promise. Jesus came as a man, lived a perfect life on our behalf, died the death that we deserve, and rose from the dead. Jesus defeated Satan, crushing his head with his death and resurrection. Now we wait patiently for his return, where he will make all things new, calling us from our graves, calling us to live with him forever in body and soul. You see, the best is yet to come. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at Foxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.